ago, I was standing in line in downtown St. Louis at a place called the City Museum. I'd never been there before, standing in this long line to pay, and I'm just observing people. I'm looking around, and I see adults my age looking absolutely ridiculous like I do now. Because they had volleyball knee pads on the outside of their clothing. And I had a lot of time to think because the line was long, and so I asked myself the question, do these people know that they're in public? Do, do they know how ridiculous they look? Because no one could pull this off, all right? This is not a good look for anyone, all right? If you're in construction and you have knee pads for construction, that makes sense. But in just regular, everyday, casual wear, this looks absolutely ridiculous. But as I, I paid for my ticket for the Sydney Museum, and if you've never been there before, if you've never heard about it, it is, it's, it's an awesome place. There's, there's, there's a lot of things there. It is several stories high. It is both inside and outside. And one of the big attractions there is you can go from story to story, and you're, you're climbing. It's basically a giant jungle gym. And you're crawling through caves, and you're crawling through, through tunnels. But what I didn't know is that the creators of the Sydney Museum, they used a lot of different materials. And so as you're crawling through tunnels, literally your knees and your body, your, your, uh, uh, everything is pressed up against things like wrought iron and steel, and things that absolutely destroy your knees. So the people who looked absolutely ridiculous to me just a few minutes ago, they turned out to be geniuses. <laughs> because they knew something that I didn't know. And I, I wasn't able to walk normally for about three weeks because I was so, so much in pain. And I'm assuming they, they were fine afterwards. But they understood that if they were going to be able to, to walk afterwards, that they needed certain things that were going to be essential. They needed certain things on themselves. They needed to bring certain things that were essential to fulfill the task. And so we are in the middle of a sermon series called Firm Foundations, the essentials for a church on fire. So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mark, he started us off with unapologetic preaching. A church on fire will proclaim and practice God's word. We will not preach simply human thought, but we will preach the truth of the Bible. Last week, Pastor Steve, he talked about unashamed adoration. Harvest Bible Chapel will be about lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. It's not about a person, it's not about a name of anyone here, but it's about the name of Jesus Christ and him alone. Two essentials to a church on fire. And today, our passage is going to start with the Apostle Paul on his knees in unceasing prayer. Our third firm foundation of a church on fire. Let's dig in. Let's get to our first point here. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, starting right in the middle of it. Verse 14, here's our first point. Bow before the Father, recognizing his authority. Bow before the Father, recognizing his authority. It starts out this way. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees. For this reason, I bow my knees. Now, we need to know that the Apostle Paul, he's not actually in the city of Ephesus with this church He's actually in prison. 
He's in Rome. Most likely, he's chained to a Roman soldier. And he says, I don't care if I look ridiculous with the people around me. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to take a position of submission and humility. And I want to pray for you, Ephesians. I can't be there with you. But I can always pray for you. So I'm going to get on my knees, wherever it is that I'm at, and I'm going to go straight to the Father in prayer. But it begs the question, when it says, for this reason, it begs the question of, what reason is that, Paul? So you have to go a little bit um, before this, and actually, you find the reason at the end, actually, of chapter 2. I'm going to start here in chapter 2, verse 18. It says, for, for through him, him being Christ, we both both meaning Jews and Gentiles, right? So, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the reason why Paul gets on his knees, what he's talking about is a church on fire in the city of Ephesus. The people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, all those belonging to this church, they have, they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He is God, and they have confessed him as Lord of their life. They are in Christ. It's a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses over and over again in the book of Ephesians. For those who are in Christ. It says in chapter 1 that God chose those people. You have been chosen before the foundations of this world. And one of the reasons why he chose us, in chapter 2 we see, for those who are in Christ, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That God is taking his chosen ones and he is building something beautiful, a dwelling place for himself, a church on fire for Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being the head, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And this is a big deal. So Paul says, I'm going to go straight to my knees. And who does he go? Who does he pray to? He says, I go before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul makes it very, very clear. Paul does not pray to someone else or to something else. He prays to God himself. Why? Because it's only God who has the authority. It's only God who's truly in charge. And so he has access through the Son. And so he's going to go straight to God the Father in prayer. He's not going to waste his time praying to anything else or anyone else because they're not in charge. They do not have authority. Because everyone and everything in creation, as they trace back their beginning, they all come to the same place. And that's God himself. Therefore, he is in charge. And then in verse 16, we get to the main request here of Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. It says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So according to, to God's perfect and holy plan, with his glory on full display, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church is that they would be on fire for Jesus Christ. That they would be rocked to their very core. And from the inside out, 
empowered by the Holy Spirit, everything that they do, all of their decisions, all of their motivation, all their purpose for getting up in the morning, everything is filtered through the power of Jesus Christ at work in their life, inside out. And it's only through Jesus Christ where there is actual power and actual strength. You see, Paul understands the background of the Ephesians. He understands, he knows the city that they lived in, that they they were born in, and that they were raised. The city of Ephesus was a city that had the means to go after everything that the world says is important. They had the ability to go after everything that the world says, hey, this, build your, your, your foundation and your stability with these things. Go after these things. They had money. It was a rich city. They loved to look good as well. They had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world in their city, the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. They loved to look good. They had prestige. They had fame. And so the Ephesian church, before they put their trust in Christ, this is the background that they grew up in. And they said, hey, there is power, there is strength that's found in these things. Money, fame, prestige, looking good. And Paul, on his knees in Rome, is praying to the Father and saying, Lord, there is a level of power there and strength, but it's just skin deep. It's just surface level strength. When the rubber meets the road, it's going to show its true colors. It has no sustaining ability. It's there for a moment and then it is gone because it's rooted in the ways of this world and not in you, Lord. And so, Lord, I want to get to my knees. And Lord, my request is that they don't find their power and their strength and their motivation. All of their decisions are filtered through their background and their past, the world. But it's filtered by having Jesus Christ rock the very core of who they are. So, several of you know that our second son, Levi, um, was born with a birth defect in both eyes. We were living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa at the time, and so for the first four years of his life, um, we took several uh, trips to the University of Iowa hospital and clinics, and we had over 10 surgeries, and there were always follow-up appointments, and there was, there was always something that we had to go down to the University of Iowa for to always have checkups and to make sure that things were, uh, were, were, uh, uh, were healing correctly. It was a trial. It was part of the junk of life that all of us go through. But one day we were there, and our, our, our head uh, eye doctor came up to, to my wife Sarah and I, and, and she asked us if we would go and, and, and talk with some other families, some other families who were going through a lot of the similar things with, with their kids. Because as she looked at us, she said, you know what, I've, I've been with you for the past few years, and I have to admit, and she was not a believer, but I have to admit that you handled this differently than than my other patients. Because although you were going through the same things, there was a strength there that I don't know where that was. And would you be able to just talk with, with these families? 
And we said, we'd we'd be happy to. But we just want to make sure that you're comfortable with what we would say. Let's just be honest up front, because we're going to go and we're going to tell the truth. And we're going to sit down with these families and say, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is part of the junk of life. Yes, you do have so much weighing down upon you. Doubts, questions that are unanswered, and debt, and everything else. And you can let it crush you if you want to try to hold it and wrestle it with it yourself. But we have found the truth that there is only one place where there is true hope. There's only one place where there is power and true strength to go through stuff like that. And his name is Jesus Christ. And and so we said, we're just going to be honest with you, it had absolutely nothing to do with us because we understood if we, we would try to wrestle with it ourselves, we would, we would be crushed. There would, there would be no hope. There would be no peace. But there's always hope in Jesus Christ, who he is, his love, his grace, his mercy, his plan, his promises. So Paul on his knees is saying, Man, this church on fire, this church in the city of Ephesus, I understand their background, but that shallow power, that every day they go and they pursue the one who actually provides real strength, real power, Holy Spirit enabled. It's things like peace that transcends understanding, right? It's peace in the middle of trials and the junk of life that the world does not understand. Doesn't get it. How could you have peace in the middle of this? You must not be, you must not be opening up your eyes. What about this? What about consider it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of various kinds? Joy in the midst of trials? Joy in the midst of trials? That's the power of my Savior. That's the hope in my Savior. The power and the strength that's over here of the world doesn't have that. It's not that powerful. It's not that strong. So we're going to start here with a simple question. Is Jesus Christ clearly in charge? Is Jesus Christ clearly in charge of your life. Because as you walk through the the book of Ephesians, again, the phrase keeps on coming and coming again. It says, for those who are in Christ, for those who have believed that Jesus died for their sins, rose from the dead, he is God, and they have confessed him as Lord of their life. He's in control. You are no longer in control. He's got it all. You've got nothing. Saved. In Christ. Is Jesus Christ clearly in charge of your life? Let's unpack it a little bit more, too. For those who are in Christ, is Jesus Christ clearly in charge of your family? Is Jesus Christ clearly in charge of your doubts, 
of the questions you still don't have answers to and you may never. Is Jesus Christ clearly in charge of your marriage? Is he clearly in charge of how you spend your time? Is Jesus Christ clearly in charge of your future? So as you're bringing those things to the Lord right now within the quietness of your own heart between you and your Lord, just in prayer, let's move on here to our second point. Second point is this, long to know the love of Christ that will blow you away. Long to know the love of Christ that will blow you away. Paul continues his prayer for the Ephesian church here in verse 17. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your, excuse me, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith being rooted and grounded in love. I've heard it said in the construction world that if you don't go deep, you can't go high. And that's just common sense, is you're building a building, right? If you want to go high, if that's your plan, we have to do something first before you go high. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. What's the same thing here of a church on fire with Jesus Christ that if we don't go deep with who Jesus is, long for him, pursue him, seek after him, we can't go high. And so what is it that we find at the core, at the foundation of who God is? It's his love. Continues on here in verse 18, it says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. Paul on his knees, not caring if he, if he looks ridiculous or not, being chained probably to a Roman soldier, comes before the Father in prayer and says, Lord, <laughs> may the Ephesian church, may, may they never be content with just knowing half of the love of Christ. May they never be content with just knowing most of his love. May they never get to this point where they think that they can, they can wrap their arms around the love of Christ that he has for them because it's, it's that manageable, it's that small. Because the truth is that the love of Jesus Christ for his church, it has no limits. It doesn't matter how far you go up or far down, far right or to the left, you will find that there is no end. His love for his chosen ones has no limits. It has no boundaries. And so a church on fire craves to know more, to see more, to experience more the love of Jesus Christ, to worship him like crazy, gathering together and singing praises and, praises and lifting up his name for his love for you and for me. Never getting to the point where you're like, I think, I think, I, I think I've got it. I think I, I think I think I understand enough of the love of Christ for me. Because it says that it surpasses knowledge, Right? It surpasses knowledge. It's love that's so big, our finite human minds, we can't comprehend it. We'll never be able to get our arms completely around it. And that's true. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't know any other love other than Jesus Christ that is so big, because I, I know all my sins. And I know my natural bent towards selfishness 
and pride and doubt when I'm not submitting my life to the Holy Spirit. But I find that my Savior, his love for me is limitless. His forgiveness has no boundaries. There's never a moment where he says no. Continually coming to him in prayer to be blown away by the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I know a lot of people that when they want to lose a little bit of weight, they go the, uh, the, the low-carb, low-sugar route, and that's probably usually the, uh, the method that I use as well. Um, but my conclusion is this. Those people who choose the, the, the low-carb route, you have two different types of people. You have the person that just walks into it, and they're, they're just real about it. They understand that any type of dieting or eating healthy is just awful. Right. It's gross, and if you're going to choose to walk through it, you're just going to choose. You're going to be miserable, miserable, and you're just going to walk through it and just reel about it. And then you have the other type of person that says, "You know what? I think I can do this. This is this is going to be great. I don't I don't think I'm going to miss anything at all." And they're lying. <laughs> right? If you're that person, or if you're around that person, whatever comes out of that person's mouth next, don't believe it. Right? So my go-to meal, whether I'm at a restaurant or whether I'm at home, is a nice cheeseburger, right? And so as, as I'm doing the, uh, a low-carb diet, you can tell the person who's over here and that's lying about it that as they are, because again, you can't eat it with buns, right, whether the top or the bottom bun, and so you're, it makes you cry inside a little bit when you're eating a cheeseburger with a knife and a fork, all right? It's... You, you look ridiculous. It's the equivalent of um, volleyball knee pads on the outside of your clothes, right? When you eat a cheeseburger with a knife and fork. And so as, as, as they're eating it, and they're, they're saying things like, wow, man, I don't miss the bun at all. You know, this, this patty is it's just so good, and whatever you, you have on it, maybe, oh, these pickles are just coming out, and oh, these onions are just, they're so crisp. Liars. So I'll tell you what, when I'm over here and I'm looking ridiculous and I'm eating my cheeseburger with a knife and a fork, there's one thing that I'm craving, buns, <laughs> all right? And that's the only thing that I'm thinking about in this moment because I've had a whole cheeseburger before. You know, the inside is, is great. Now, I'll be honest, when I'm not dieting and I actually have a full cheeseburger, I take the buns for granted, Right? And I'm like, hey, buns are great. They, they have a, a function. They make sure that my, my, my fingers don't get crazy messy. I usually take it for granted, but when it's not there, it's the only thing I can think about. It's the only thing I'm craving. And that's a silly cheeseburger of what Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church is this. My prayer is that, that they never are content with just the inside of Christ's love for them, a portion of it the one that maybe they, they understand. But a church on fire craves all the fullness of Christ. Never getting to the point where like, yeah, I think I've, I, I, I've got enough. No, craves all the fullness of Christ. So here's your next question. We're going to dig a little bit deeper now. Here's the next question. 
Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're honest before the Lord. That sounds awesome. Yeah, we want to continue to crave all the fullness of Jesus Christ and his love. There's, there are times in our life we're distracted by that. So here's your question. What's distracting you from being blown away by the fullness of Christ's love? What is distracting you by being blown away by the fullness of Christ's love for you? I was thinking about it this week, and I wrote down four things, right? Four possible places or ways to be distracted by not craving the fullness of Christ's love for you, right? Number one is this, number one possibility, simply life circumstances, you find yourself saying things like, you know what, I, I have all these great intentions, but life just gets in the way. Life is just always getting in the way. So it was this past Tuesday, uh, I, I got up and, I, and I, was, I was pumped to come into, into church because for a, about a week, I'd been planning something. For about 30 minutes before our, our weekly staff uh, meeting, we were setting up uh, about a 30-minute prayer walk inside here, and it was matching up on the same day that Pastor Tim was going to go in for his procedure. I had leadership above me. They'd given me the green light. They were fired up for it as well. We were going to rally here, and I had all things set up. We were going to start here with all the church staff that was there that Tuesday morning. And we were going to rally here in this place, and we were going to pray for Pastor Tim, and we were going to pray for Jonna. We were going to move outside these doors here, outside the 309, in the higher ground children's. I mean, we were going to pray for our high schoolers and our junior high ministry and our children's ministry. We were going to then walk over here to the front doors, and we were going to be praying for uh, all the unbelievers in our lives and for that, this entire church family to be on fire for Jesus Christ. And all these things set up. And then a little thing called Life happened. As my four kids were getting ready for school that morning, I looked at my eight-year-old Gabe, and I looked at his right eye, and I thought to myself, that's nasty. <laughs> so I got my other kids to school, and around the same time that and I planned to, to be here and to, to have just this sweet moment with the church staff in prayer, I'm sitting in prompt care waiting for eye drops for pink eye, right? So we go to the pharmacy, we get the pink eye drops, we, we get home. My eight-year-old is absolutely terrified about eye drops. <laughs> so he's crying. I go up to his room, I put a helmet on, I put a visor over it, over my face. I take a can of Lysol in one hand, I'm stripping bed sheets and pillowcases with the other hand, and, and I pause and I, I think to myself, this is not at all where I, where I thought I was going to be <laughs> today. I had all these plans, all these intentions to come here. Everything was set up, but life happened. So I take the, the bed sheets and the pillowcases down, put it in the washer, start it up. And then in that moment, I really believe that the Lord was teaching me not so much about prayer, but he was teaching me about unceasing prayer. Because unceasing prayer is not restricted by a building. Unceasing prayer is not restricted even by time. It's wherever it is that you're at. Or you're at. Whenever. It continues on and on. The Apostle Paul would have loved to have been in the city of Ephesus with that church. But he didn't have the freedom to do so. He was in prison in Rome days away 
And so I went into my room. I got on my knees, just alone. No one else was there. And I had such a sweet time of communication and worship just between me and my Lord. Thanking him, being so very grateful for life getting in the way. God had a much bigger plan. He was going to teach me something that if life didn't get in the way, I might not have learned it. Unceasing prayer. So that's number one. All right? One possibility that's distracting. Number two is simply time. Your use of time. Perhaps you, you find yourself saying something like this. You know, there's just not enough time in the day. Time just runs out. And perhaps you're, you're the, the type of person that, that just fills, fills your life with so much stuff. And that stuff is not inherently bad. It might not be sinful. But there is something called being too busy, right? And a lot of times what, what happens if, if we're prone to overcommit and be too busy a lot of times what the easiest thing to remove is some of our firm foundations. Things like prayer, getting on our knees, spending time in communication with our Lord. So what needs to go if that's you? What needs to be removed from your schedule so that you're less busy? So that you will have time to get on your knees. So life circumstances, time, Number three, this is where I fall often, simple forgetfulness. If you're honest, yeah, I've got the time, but to be honest, there's just times I forget. There's just times I forget. So if that's you, take out your phone, set some reminders. What I've been doing for for years now, because I'm easy to forget, One, one of my prayer triggers is that when I am alone in my car, When I'm alone in my car, I turn the radio off. And that's my time of prayer. I did it on the way over here. I'm just alone in my car. I could listen to the radio and drive, or I could pray and drive. That's just one of my things. If you're prone to being just forgetful, then be intentional. What are some things that you can set up, some reminders, maybe some places, some, some areas that you can set up in your life? So life circumstances, time, simple forgetfulness, and number four is this. Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Because what unconfessed sin does is it causes blinders in your life. And you're, you're not able to see the fullness of the love of Christ. You're not able to see his forgiveness. For some reason, maybe you're embarrassed or you're hesitant of bringing this to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm done with this. Please forgive it. So before you leave this room, what needs to go? What, need to, what do you need to approach the throne of grace with, confident in his forgiveness and asking, Lord, would you please forgive us right now? Lord, I want to be done. I want to turn from it. I don't want to follow that. I want to follow you. So as you look through this list of four life circumstances, time, simple forgiveness, unconfessed sin, where are you at? Which one of those four are are you prone to lean on the most? And as you're praying about that, as you're pondering that, as you're figuring that out, let's get here to our final point. Final point is this, count on the one who is able to do more than you could ever imagine. Count on the one who is able to do more than you could ever imagine. I love how Paul ends his prayer with such power. 
It says this in verse 20. It says, Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul starts and he ends with the Lord in control, and he understands his own limitations. He ends his prayer saying, Lord, I've come to you with, with this. This is my prayer request for the Ephesian church. But I'll admit that you might have something much bigger. I'll admit there's, there's things that I don't even know that I'm supposed to come to you in prayer. But I'm trusting in you. I'm submitting not just this, what I came to you with. But Lord, I'm, I'm submitting it all. All for your glory. You receive all the credit throughout all generations, forever and ever. As I've been studying this passage for the past few weeks, I had, I've noticed something about my own personal prayer. That I'm so focused upon the, the things that I bring to him in prayer that I don't come out and look up and say, Lord, it's all yours. I'm trusting you in it. I'm submitting it all for you, all for your glory. You receive all the praise, all the credit. I'm coming to you with this, but there's so much more that I don't even know to come to you with. So I'm going to open up and I'm going to look up. I've come maybe with a very small prayer, but you are a big God. And I'm submitting all things to you. God, your will be done. Your name exalted and spread. So be it.